Welcome. My name is Kelly Bearden. I'm a classical musician turned creative entrepreneur, and this is the best platform for musicians that are looking to shape their career by thinking outside the box. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. I know we've been talking about this for, it feels like ages now, but it's been fun just you know, becoming over the last couple of years, uh, Instagram friends and, and kind of chatting about teaching and life. But I want to dive right into your career, if that's cool. Let's start at the beginning. Sure, tell yeah. Us a little bit how you, tell us a little bit about how you got started on piano. Okay. Um, yeah, it's been so fun since, uh, you know, when we all kind of went online is when I started to <laughs> connect with other people. And I had no idea there were so many people out there doing such cool things because I was very yeah. um, isolated as a teacher. So it was it was great to start to see your content. And actually, to be honest, I, I think I might have mentioned this to you before. I What first drew me to your page was your wedding photos. <laughs> and, <laughs> It was Thank so, you. <laughs> such a gorgeous wedding. And I remember how um, I, I kept thinking like, it's gotta be in the winter and you're somewhere cold because you had that beautiful like shrug that. Oh, my Nana's cool. fur, which is oh. such a cool thing to have on that day. Oh my gosh. I had a little, this is so off topic, but we, we had like a little, uh, I have the first stroll. It was like a big first stroll that was hers. That's been hers, I think since around the time of her wedding, honestly, okay. um, it's been in the family. And then I had on my bouquet, like a little medallion that belonged to my other grandma. So neither oh. of them, they, they had both passed on. So it was okay. nice if I can't have either of them there to have. Yeah. Them, oh, <laughs> that makes it even more special now to know the story. behind it. Oh, it's so pretty. What month was that? Did you get married? That was in October. So oh, it was okay. October 22nd of 21. Okay. We were pushing it for an outdoor wedding. We were definitely pushing it. It was like 55 degrees and we gave everyone blankets and they were troopers. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Well, yeah, it's funny how people come across your path, right? And for different reasons, but I saw the wedding pictures and then I thought, oh, she's a musician too and a teacher and a business owner. And that's, that's kind of how it started with, with you and I, but, um, (laughs) from, Going back to your question was, how did I get started in piano? Yeah. Where, what, at what age or, you know, did you take lessons right away? What did that look like? Right. Um, well, I grew up kind of as an only child. My brother is 17 years older than me. So um, mm. we weren't in the same household at the same time. So um, when I was younger, my parents signed me up for all kinds of things like gymnastics and art and I don't even remember what else. Um, but piano was the only thing that kind of stuck. <laughs> that was about third grade, I think is when I started. So kind of late, I guess, for compared to the students I teach now, they're starting way uh, younger than that. But that's when I started. Um, I probably am different than a lot of your listeners because I don't have a music degree. Um, my degree is actually in therapy, counseling. My, my undergraduate degree was in um, home economics, um, in foods. Oh my goodness. Foods and business was the was the emphasis. Wow. 
So I um I used to work at Nestle Food Company, if you're familiar. Chocolate chips and yes. this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I worked there in the test kitchen for the longest well, not for the longest time, for a long time ago, um, for about five years. And then um I thought this is fun and everything, but it's not really meaningful. Like I wanted to do something more impactful. And that's when I went back to get my master's in um, marriage family therapy. And then I did that for several years. And that was almost too, too meaningful. Like it was too, uh, the population I worked with was uh, very uh, challenging for me. It was, there was a lot of crisis intervention and I'm not a crisis. I didn't feel like at the time I had that that was a good fit for me, um, the conflict and the crisis every day. So, but through those things, and then I did a little bit of teaching in a classroom, I had always had the piano kind of in the, on the sidelines, in the background. And um, whether I was uh, taking lessons or I, I actually started teaching because I was, my church had needed a, an organist for one year for an interim thing. And they didn't know anyone um, readily that they could ask, but they knew that I played the piano. So they just assumed, well, you can play the organ too, <laughs> which is very different. A nice assumption. <laughs> right. So I, I ended up, yeah, right. Um, and I thought, well, I, I want to try it. Like I was, I'm always up for a challenge to do something new. Um, but I needed, I needed help. So I, I found an organ teacher and she ended up being, um, a, a studio owner of a studio called Keys to Praise, um, which is the studio that I currently own and teach out of. Um, so long story short, she taught me how to play the organ. I eventually teach taught with her, um, other piano students, cause she had a program where she went into schools and she would teach piano mm -hmm. to kids. Um, they were able to, to have the kids, um, come out of their day for, um, an extracurricular. So it was like during the day lessons, which is rare for teachers. And that was really nice. Um, and then after a certain point, she was ready to retire from the teaching life and Actually, I think she went into real estate after that, but she just said, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a big jump. She said, would you like to take over the studio? So that's how I got into where I am now with uh, teaching oh at studio. We don't go into a lot of different schools now. We just have one location. Um, but yeah, started learning how to play the piano in third grade, never thought that I would be here teaching and running a studio and now like kind of encouraging other teachers as they run their studios. So you just never know, right? How the, the path is going to, to take you and all of the experiences and the jobs and the past careers, the past lives, it almost felt like they all, um, parts of them all come together to make you the person that you are to be able to yeah. you know, be kind of that unique combination of things. So that's a, that's well, a, obviously if, if you look at your Instagram and your, your social media and all the posting that you do, cause you're very active and you put a lot of really high quality content out. Oh. And when you, 
I think like from an outside perspective, when you look at your profile, you would have no idea it like your passion just shines through so much for what you're doing and for your students and for your teaching and for pedagogy and the teachers that you're working with and your community that like all the little twists and turns that, that got you there. Um, I don't know. It just looks like the career would have been so linear. And obviously mm. we only see such a small fraction of, of what's happening on, on social media, but right. it's obvious that you are where you're meant to be. Like oh. you seem so happy and fulfilled well, and passionate you. about what you're working on. It is. It, yeah, it, it was definitely not linear. Um, but <laughs> I think, and, the, and that's actually really, um, nice to hear from an outside perspective because I have struggled for a long time. Like, what is my purpose? Where do I really belong? And, you know, I've tried so many different things and every time I was like, I don't know, is this it? Is this right? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And then I think I had to stop asking myself that question in some ways because I had to kind of realize wherever I was at that moment that there was going to be purpose in it. And whether it was teaching, whether it was um, making brownies or <laughs> chocolate chip cookies at Nestle or whatever. Um, I, I worked in the test kitchen. I'm not sure if I told you that part. That's why, that's why the brownie. Um, Please tell thing, me that but... there were so many samples. Like, did you get to eat sweets all the time? This yeah. is so glamorized in my head right now. <laughs> oh yeah. There was food everywhere. And they had they have a lot of other products too. Like um Libby's pumpkin is one of their products. So we would do pumpkin audits a lot. So I can make a really good pumpkin pie, like with the Libby Libby's product, but we had to make our own crust and you know, so I I'm I love like fluting the edge of the crust on the pie, but that's just because that was part of a, a life, you know, that I lived a, a long time ago. But, um, oh but yeah, there were moments where I thought, is this what I should be doing? And, you know, you do have to kind of evaluate if it's a good fit, like the counseling um, arena that I was in was, I noticed that there was chronic, um, uh, stomach aches and like physical things that were coming up for me because it was just a hard population to work with. And at the time, my kids were the same age as the kids that I was uh, counseling. And these kids had gone through such trauma and crisis. And then to come home and like, you know, turn it off or shut it down or put it away a little bit to be with my own uh, kids at the time was really hard. So, and I, I really didn't have the tools, I don't think, to I mean, you would think I should have, I was a therapist, but I didn't tap into what I needed to at the time to, um, to take care of myself. And it's just, a, it's been a learning process. I, I think there was a lot of benefit for me after 2020 because I was, life changed and I started having to research things that were out there to adjust, you know, our teaching. And then I just learned so much more. So yeah, not linear, but, um, but definitely a fun journey. And, and I do love where I am right now. It, it does feel in alignment with kind of all of the pieces that have come together. Well, it sounds yeah. like that experience of 
working with students that, you know, obviously the students that you're working with on a daily basis, hopefully they are not going through significant traumatic events and that's not what we're counseling them through. But we still hear it all. Like I used to, I used to joke that my own piano teacher growing up was like half piano teacher, half counselor. Yeah. Because at a certain point I knew I was going into music, but I knew I was going into music for clarinet performance. Mm -hmm. And so while I took piano very seriously, I also had this trusted adult that I had worked with for most of my life (laughs) on a weekly basis that I was able to go to and talk about things and things that, you know, maybe as a kid, you're just not as excited to talk to a parent about, or you Mm -hmm. want an outside perspective, or, you know, it's just someone else to, you know, kind of get some really good level-headed advice from that knows you and knows what drives you. Yeah. Um, So I'm sure that informs a lot of your teaching on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. Well, it's so true. I mean, how often do kids get one-on-one adult attention, you know, from a a mentor and someone who can give them 100% of their attention? Because if they're in a classroom setting at school, they don't get that. And at home, you know, parents do their best, I'm sure, but there's always other distractions. So when they have that time with us, it is, it's really valuable. And I think as teachers, we don't acknowledge or realize the value that we do provide for, for students. And um, yeah, I've actually, I had a, a parent say to me once, because we had a conversation about how the student was, um, not practicing as well as she could have. And um, in the area that I'm at, a lot of families do a lot of things. So this student was in, you know, five other extracurriculars and piano wasn't her first instrument. She was a, a violinist actually from the age of three, but her mom wanted her to learn the bass clef. So that's why she jumped into piano. But there was a point where I thought, I'm not really getting anywhere. We're not progressing. And I, I wanted to see more movement on her end. Um, I talked to the mom and the mom said, you know what? I'm fine with it. I just want her to spend time with you. And I thought that, well, first of all, if as long as you're okay with that, we can spend this, this hour together. It's, I don't remember how long we were, but um, there's definitely a lot of things you can learn in that moment. And as long as both parties, all parties knew that this is not her primary instrument, she's coming for these reasons. And part of the reason was probably her own self-care just to have that opportunity mm-hmm. to be with an, a trusted adult. And not that I'm recommending that, but to, to, to teachers, <laughs> you know, don't worry about not practicing and all that. I mean, we have to, we have to have a balance between those things. Right. And, um, but I, but yeah, I think, and whether it was the counseling environment or just life experience over time, we, um, we've had conversations with students or with parents that maybe are difficult at that moment, but if we can get through the conversation, kind of come up with a solution or strategy to how we addressed it, um, those conversations are going to come up again and again and again, right? When you have new parents coming into the studio or whatever, um, you know, it's all, it all informs how you, uh, deal with it the next time. So sometimes I like to think 
try to change my thinking around a difficult situation. Um, when a parent comes in with questions or comments or critiques that, okay, this is, first of all, it's fair enough, right? They can ask their questions. They're paying for your service. Um, and secondly, how can I be empathetic with their question? How can I um, provide an answer with a bit of authority over, you know, with the experience that I've had? And then how can I think about it as, okay, this is hard now, but I'm going to be really grateful for this situation because yeah. then I'll be able to, you know, the next time it comes up, draw upon the solutions that hopefully we came to as we worked on a resolution with the parent. But this is very fresh in my mind because it just happened recently. So that's why I bring this up. But well, I'm, I'm thinking about my own past students and things that I've that conversations I've had with parents or situations that I have like found myself in and it, yeah. you know, it can feel very high pressure. I'm thinking of one in particular. Um, this is when I was still teaching a lot of piano lessons, which has been years <laughs> at this point. Mm -hmm. But she must have been, oh, I think seven years old and sweet, like bubbly, very vibrant personality. And one day it was like a switch flipped. Like she mm -hmm. got up off the bench, laid on the floor of my studio and cried Oh, and would not talk to me, would not make eye contact. I was like, what is going on? Like, this is not normal for, <laughs> for the situation. Yeah. And of oh, course I'm yeah. trying to like coax her back to the bench and, you know, get her to talk to me. And we were really right. struggling. And, um, a few weeks went by and there were some other behavioral issues and looking back on it, what I regret was not having the confidence immediately to go to mom and dad and say, what's going on? Like, is everything okay? Because in that moment I was thinking like, she's probably just tired. She probably had a long day at school. There were a couple things that she shared, like a teacher, you know, made me stay in from recess to finish an assignment. And that was upsetting, but it really wasn't even at that age, nothing that she was telling me was a large enough magnitude to reflect the behaviors that were happening that were so upsetting. Yeah. And um, a few weeks go by and I was really getting concerned. And so I, I asked mom finally to come into the studio and have a conversation because normally she would kind of drop her off. She would come in by herself and then go back yeah. to the car. Mm -hmm. And I opened the door and mom was, um, mom was bald. I hadn't seen mom in probably two and a half months. Oh, and wow. I had absolutely no idea that she'd been going through chemo. Oh, No wow. one had told me that, you know, she, obviously this is a, an incredibly stressful situation for a seven-year-old to process. And as someone who had a parent that had cancer and went through that process, mm -hmm. of yeah. course, now I'm like on the same page, let's, let's work together. Let's tackle this and, and support her. And we did things like composition activities to try to write about how she was feeling and mm -hmm. find some expression for that. But again, I like kick myself <laughs> and I didn't go to mom and dad earlier and say, Hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? Because I would have been informed. And, right. you know, obviously we wish everyone keeps us updated, but we're not right. the priority in the situations. We're not thinking about the piano teacher when they're, you know, thinking about really heavy things in their family. Yeah. So this is, I, I really think this is so important for musicians to hear and, and teachers to hear because we aren't educated in counseling and in therapy and providing these services, but at the same time, we are consistently put in situations where we need to provide that emotional support and music is an inherently emotional thing. Right. So if you don't mind me going in this direction a little bit with you, what are some things that you like to incorporate into your lessons or maybe some activities that when a student is struggling a little bit, mm -hmm. you find help to open that communication? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, you have, you don't know what you, you didn't know what you didn't know at the time with that student, you know, so you have to have grace on yourself for, you know, working through it. And eventually the solution came and you were able to find out what the, what was going on. But I was going to ask you the same question. Like, so how did that change your teaching with her? And now that, you know, that you knew what she was going through. So you had her doing some composing and, and that kind of thing. It sounded like that's cool. Yeah. We um, we'd actually, um, we picked a couple movies that she oh. liked and we would pick emotions from the movies. And unsurprisingly, she was picking, you know, emotions, um, like frustration or mm-hmm. like scared, you know, like we, we talked about frozen as one of them. And, mm-hmm. um, I feel like the, the particular example that I can think of is she was talking about when Elsa ran away and she ran away because she was scared and she felt lonely. And yeah. so we wrote songs about feeling scared and lonely and how would that sound on the piano and what kind of keys would you want to use? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, very small example. But on that note, uh, Nicola Canton from uh, Colorful Keys. Yes. Is that the... Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I had a mind blank. Uh, she has whole composition activities that I kind of based this on. Okay. And that's where I was kind of borrowing. It was like, this feels like it's a really good fit. So I was borrowing resources from her program. Right. Was- I think I've used that composition activity. Uh, I remember, yeah, downloading that. Is there like the cover page has like a, a dark blue with like a globe and a bunch of books or something. I, I don't know if that's the same one, yes, but the books. Yep. Yeah. That was, uh, that's a great resource. I've used that. I've used that. Not yes, for, so good. <laughs> we used it once during the summer and that was kind of a theme that the kids mm-hmm. were doing. But, um, but I, I think that's such a great idea and what you did with her to be able to process her feelings through the music and through um, story. Um, Something that I like to do a lot is improvise, improvisation with students when they come in um, and you can tell kind of that they've had a hard day or maybe they're just not quite focusing. They, they, um, can't verbalize that they've had a hard day, but you you kind of can pick up on some of the signs or clues. I mean, laying on the ground and crying would be a big clue that you experience for sure. <laughs> right. But sometimes I think like I've had students that are um, very fidgety and very unfocused that might not have normally been that way on a typical lesson. Like they have to go to the restroom and then uh, they need to get a drink of water and then, you know, those kinds of things. So what seems like you just want to deal with the symptom is kind of where, especially if it's not common, where you might want to go deeper, like, okay, what's really going on behind what I see on the outside? And, um, And sometimes they can verbalize it and sometimes they can't if you're working with a young beginner, but our younger student, but I've loved the opportunity to improvise and I just will play like, you know, four chord pattern. And usually with my kids, it'll either be in the key of C or in the key of G flat. And so I'll just say, do you want to play all the white keys or do you want to play all the black keys? And they'll choose. And, um, uh, it's, 
it's really beautiful what they come up with. And sometimes I just, I, I get goosebumps while I'm playing. Like, I can't believe that those notes that came together, not like I'm super, super surprised at them, but it's just the beauty that the music provides and how it just comes from their little five-year-old fingers that, you know, and they, they kind of will look up to like, Ooh, did, did I just play that? So then we do a lot of improvising. I would say that that's, um, and then it helps, especially with students who have a hard time reading music or, um, uh, being like super structured with, with things. Um, I have some students that are really structured and they love it. Like here's this book and then we do this one. And then now we're doing this and they kind of like remember how I did one or two lessons and then they just come in and that's how it is for the rest of the time. Um, I think that might be partially due to just the way they interact with the world, but, um, but other students who struggle with reading music, it's such a beautiful time to like, let's put the book down and let's just explore. And so either we'll duet together and improvise together, or um, I'll ask them to like come up with the story themselves. Um, and I think this was either a Nicola Canton suggestion or a Tim Topham suggestion, but um, where they kind of start in the high, uh, on the, the high keys with like a mouse or something, and then the low keys with an elephant. And then they come up with the story about the mouse and the elephant be coming together to meet each other and become friends. And then they play some things in the middle. I don't know if the, does that sound familiar? Okay. I, I don't know that I, if it is a Nicholas program, I don't know that I ever found that one. Okay. She's got so many resources though. I mean, yes. Who are we kidding? There's like hundreds yeah. and hundreds. I think it's awesome that we've used some of the same ones, but oh my God. Yeah. But I like that idea of the improvisation, even sometimes like just getting those little fingers on the keys and like key mashing. <laughs> Like, yeah, I literally this motion. I've seen so many of my students do this motion. Yeah, and yeah. It's so therapeutic and tactile to just be able to like, whatever you're feeling, just like let it go through the little fingertips, and they're so happy in right. that moment to just right. do what they want. Mm -hmm. This is an important thing that I wish parents understood when they first start, and I try to communicate this frequently that mm -hmm. any contact with the instrument is good contact. Yes, it doesn't have to be a song. It doesn't have to be like organized notes on a page it can be yeah. anything and even you know a clarinet even if they're squawking away I know it's not always enjoyable for the rest of the house but mm -hmm. if they are of their own accord getting that instrument out or walking up to the piano and choosing to interact with it right. we are happy we are praising them we are so excited like we're encouraging that interest and letting them express what they want to express so that we're not stifling them into you, know, you can't do that you have to play what is expected of you and practice yeah. pieces only. Yeah. Otherwise you've, you've cut off so much of their creativity. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think uh, also, I think some parents assume that practice has to be like this big, long chunk of time every time. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's just five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, but it's a consistent every day, and it just becomes part of their natural routine and their natural habit to have music in their life. And they, um, that makes a big, bigger difference as I'm sure, you know, and you've told your students and parents as well, then 
than cramming it all in the night before a lesson or something like that. You know, just little bits at a time during the week is way better than everything the night before. But I'm a procrastinator kind of by nature. So like in school I was, so I, I totally relate to that. And when, when students come in, I, I can tell and I understand, but sometimes it takes the pressure off when they know, oh, okay, I don't have to sit there for an hour or 30 minutes or, you know, and I remember talking to some parents and they had little kids. Well, they need to be here for an hour. And, you know, I think that's, that's just not feasible or sustainable. And over the years, parents just don't know. We think that they know. We think we think that they know, but they, they don't. Even the simplest things, like I've had one of the biggest questions um, and challenges for new students is, I couldn't play my song because I didn't know where to put my hands. And I couldn't find the hand position. And that's, you know, and the, the, the parent would say the same thing. Oh, they got stuck. They didn't know their starting note. Well, of course, as teachers, we need to make sure that that is something that they can find readily or find the clues on the music to know how to find that. Um, but at the beginning, it's that's all new for the student as well. So it takes some time. But I literally like open the book and point to the the picture on the the big the giant picture, the diagram of the keyboard. I, I just, parents are busy and they already think they don't know. So why bother like reading anything on the page? Cause I, I, I'm not a musician. I, I've never taken piano lessons. I'm not gonna understand. So I'm just gonna be hands off and I'll ask the teacher later. But we try to, really develop that communication during the week as well. So if you have questions, please let us know, email us. And I've had parents um, text me during the week. Um, and I, I don't feel like any of them have ever taken advantage of it. I'm always glad to see like, oh, you're stuck here. Hold on. Let me send you a screenshot or let me send you a picture of the hand position or I'll do a quick video or whatever. Um, and that just helps to you know, serve our students at a deeper, deeper level. I was, I wasn't able to do that kind of thing with parents because it, before 2020, and really it didn't have anything to do with that in particular, but I had just scheduled myself to the max, like lesson, 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 back to back. And there was no time for any breather. There was no time to like chat with a parent a little bit after lesson because the next student was right was waiting i when parents would text or email me back then i was like oh i don't have time for this what you know don't they know i'm still teaching why are they you know emailing me now they don't understand that i can't get to when you're with a student or a person in a lesson all day and all afternoon or evening um there's no breathing room for anything else. So I've changed a lot of things in my studio since that day, which allows me to be able to go deeper with the parents so that they can really get a good foundation and a good head start because that's when you lose people, right? When they're like, I don't even under, she didn't tell me what we're doing and my kid doesn't get it. Well, of course not. They're five or six or I work with a lot of <laughs> 
because that's why I keep referencing that age group. But um, we just need kind and loving and considerate education about how this whole process works and that and how it's a journey, just like we were talking about our journeys of coming to the places that we are as as uh, teachers or musicians or business owners. Um, the process of learning an instrument is a journey too. And the, and parents, I think, think that they can go from day one to day 300 after 10 days or something. You know, I, I had a mom ask me recently, I was working with a four-year-old, I think it was, and he'd had maybe three lessons. And she said, um, so when am, when am I going to hear songs that like I know and I recognize? And I was try you know, of course they want to play something familiar and we'll try to give them something like hot cross buns or Mary had a little lamb or something like that. But it, part of the education with the mom was um, all of these foundational things are so important and you may not hear something that you you know, that you recognize from the radio or, or whatever for a while. Um, but don't give up because when that turning point happens, then it's like, a, it's like a door is open. All the foundational things, the technique and the theory and the rhythm and all of it just kind of meld and come together. And then one day, I mean, literally, it just feels like some days it's just a switch. The kids are like, all of a sudden, it just clicks for them and it all comes together and it's beautiful. But until you get to that, that place that parents think is beautiful, we have to educate them that all of it is beautiful. On the corner. <laughs> right, right. But yes. to know, like when they're doing their smashing on the piano, as you were telling before, like if they can do it with a graceful wrist lift, you know, and curved fingers. That's beautiful to me because I love to see the development of technique and parents are like, oh, I don't know about that, but they just need to know. They just need education and we need space and time in our schedules to be able to, to do that without feeling so hurried and hustled all the time. Well, and I do think it's something that a lot of, okay, if we talk about like musicians that have gone to conservatory and have had, you know, years and years of additional education and, and take it rightfully very seriously because it's their whole life and their whole career. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really common for us to get caught up in is this is a, this is the way that I did it and B, this was my upbringing and my process. And so I'm assuming it's the same for all of my students. So I think on some level, we, we kind of assume that any student that's coming to us, well, their parents must have some kind of musical background. Right. Or, and, you know, teach their own. I, I say frequently that, um, and I've said it many times on this podcast, that every teacher has an ideal student. Every student has an ideal teacher. Mm -hmm. So I'll have teachers say frequently to me, and I'm sure you've heard this too, um, I would rather work with students that have parents that have a musical background because they can help their students. Mm -hmm. And of course, I completely understand where that's coming from. And again, if that's your preference, that's your preference. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also think that kind of opening ourselves up a little bit and thinking, well, if a parent doesn't have a musical background, we can absolutely provide this education. We can clarify things for them and, mm -hmm. and help get them involved. And honestly, you may get another patron <laughs> for the arts as a whole if, if we're including them in that conversation. That's but right. Music and the arts in general, 
can be a little um, exclusive. And if we're not inviting people in to learn and experience that as the parent, I, I think we're also doing them a little bit of a disservice and we're doing their student a disservice because their longevity will not last in, in many cases. So when they have those questions or when they're unsure, like the video idea is amazing. I had a family over COVID that in regular lessons, the child was struggling because mom and dad were completely not involved in, in lessons at all. Um, grandma and grandpa had set him up. They drove him to lessons. And so during the week, right. he was five. He didn't practice on his own and he had no support at home. Yeah. Um, so when COVID hit, we all went online. We tried the iPad thing a couple weeks and his dad figured out pretty fast. He's not looking at the computer. Like he's not looking at the teacher. He's looking everywhere else in the room at all of his toys and everything. Yeah. So mom and dad... <laughs> pulled the keyboard up for every lesson to the gigantic flat screen TV and plugged me to the TV. So I was like surround sound. Possibly have looked anywhere else. <laughs> like it was just me. Right. But dad sat through every single lesson and got really excited about it and took a ton of ownership of it, had the whole tech set up and Fine. the progress was night and day for that um, student because all of a sudden mom and dad knew how to help and right. they felt empowered to help. Yes. And all of a sudden it, he blossomed. It was, it was really exciting to see that yeah. progress so quickly. Right. Oh, we have to cool. open those doors and include families. And there's right. a ton of ways of going about this. I've seen, you know, teachers do like video resource libraries and things to try to help yeah. families, but it is an additional challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. During, during 2020, when we pivoted online is I was, a lot of teachers, I think, were surprised at the the surroundings or the the piano setup and what was happening. I had one student that had a keyboard and he was on the floor, like laying on the floor, playing. I had no idea that that's how they never had a bench or stool or chair or whatever. He just had a keyboard on the floor in his room, and that's how he's playing. Sometimes sitting up, but mostly laying down. So. It was very eye-opening during that time to see what was going on. And it was helpful because now we know and we have a place to, you know, to uh, something to work with so that we can help them out. Yeah, we're actually doing some recordings of uh, some like parent tip videos uh, as well. I don't know if we'll have a whole resource library, but that's on my schedule for next week just to have some things to uh as you kind of onboard a new family to send them some videos, um, maybe we'll put up a, put it up on our website or something like that. But, but it's, yeah, it's important. And then they feel empowered, like you said, and then they're part of it. And it's not just one more thing on their list. Like I said, we have like kids that are in art and soccer, lots of sports here, baseball and, um, tennis, swimming, there's so many things. And piano is just like one of those things. And and I get it, especially for younger families, they're trying to see what is going to click with their child. And um, I think they those things start to kind of drop off of the schedule as kids get older. But yeah, we're so if we can kind of bring ourselves up to the top of the list by having those communications with parents and they get what's happening in the lessons and, and how to support at home. It's really good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you think about the things that parents, you know, stereotypically or generally enjoy being involved in, there's like that, you know, 
American image of the dad and son throwing the baseball back and yeah. forth in the, in the backyard. Right. And, or you're shooting hoops in the, in the, in the driveway and activities that parents can do with their kids is also something they're looking for. And mm -hmm. if we can invite them in, it, it is helpful. And mm -hmm. of course it's, it's a challenge, you know, if, if as a clarinet teacher, mom and dad can't like help them play the clarinet and like move their fingers for them. And obviously right. there's limitations to all of this, but yeah. even just helping the parent understand like, why does the chip in the reed matter? Mm -hmm. And why is it, you know, not okay if the student's playing with a, a damaged reed or, you know, what do we need to do for instrument maintenance? And why can't little Susie just leave her entire instrument set up all week and, you know, have the dog running by and possibly knock it over. Like there's just little things like that, that if, again, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't help educate someone in a very helpful and kind way, mm -hmm. they can't support their child to the best of their ability, or they can't feel involved in that process. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the things that students tend to gravitate towards long-term are the things where they feel the most connection mm -hmm. either with peers or with another adult or with their parents. And so if mom and dad are coming to every single soccer game every weekend, but piano doesn't have recitals except for maybe once a year, there is no connection there. And a lot of kids will choose something else because that's where they get the attention and praise from mom and dad. Yep. That's really great observation. Yeah. So, so important. So true. Seen it. <laughs> and we get frustrated by it, but we, we have solutions. We have solutions. Right. Right. Okay. So right now in the studio, uh, obviously you have a multi-year studio, so you are working with a lot of other colleagues. Do you guys only have piano lessons? Is it, you know, have you branched out a little bit? What does the studio makeup look like? Um, we have piano and voice. Those are kind of our two primary uh, lesson offerings. And then um, we have ukulele that we started as kind of a group thing. And uh, before COVID, I think, remember quite the timeline on that and then that was hard to do as a group I don't know now it's now it's a individual we just have one ukulele student right now but he's he's the brother of a piano student who had been in piano for the longest time and the mom he's the youngest brother the younger the mom kept saying don't you want to take piano don't you want to do like you know, your older brother. Nope, nope, nope. He was like, I'm not doing it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I think he just wanted to be his own person. And when ukulele came up, he was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And um, so he's our one little ukulele student. But it's so fun at recitals to have the variety, to have, you know, piano um, and voice and ukulele. So we have, we have those instruments right now. And I teach... Um, with four other teachers that uh that I have teaching with me and they're just incredible they're um they're all students of some kind so one's in high school one's in her bachelor program college and one's in her masters and uh one's in her yeah masters and one is like second master's, I think, credential program for, for teaching. So everybody is somewhere on the the spectrum of being a student. And two of the teachers were former students, former piano students of mine. So that's been really fun to see them go from student to colleague. And um, 
Yes. Yeah, that's that's how we that's how our studio looks right now. We are only uh, open or teaching three days a week. We teach Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and it works well for their schedules, and it works well for mine because um, I want to make space in in my life for other things. Um, but it wasn't always like that. I I used to teach like Monday through Friday all day long because I was working in the schools. So it wasn't just an afternoon to evening thing. It was like, I think one time I had a student that started at seven or seven thirty in the morning. And then it was just all day long that that parent wanted oh, their child to start before school. And that's what we did. And at one point, I think I had 68 private students by myself. And I was just like, this is not sustainable. I cannot do this any longer. I was really, you know, it, until it gets bad, you don't know what kind of change needs to happen. And then it just got very um, stressful, overwhelming. I was totally burned out. So that's when uh, each year I would kind of set a goal to teach one day less. And, um, and so now we're down, we're down from five to three, but it, it gives me more opportunity to manage the studio things and all the business things that go on outside of the, the actual face-to-face -face time, um, which I think a lot of people don't really understand. My mom will call me sometimes and say, are you teaching today? And I'll say, no, but I'm working today. You know, I'm not teaching, but either I'm working on the website or, you know, catching up on a few parent emails or, or whatever. But I know you've done a lot of um, automating or you talk a lot about automating your billing and your payments and your scheduling. And that has made such a huge difference too, from going from like all of these families that I, I can hardly manage on my own to finding, well, and your comment too about there's a student for every teacher and a teacher for every student, just being able to find your niche in, in the teaching world. And I think as you're a beginner in moving into that, that job or that profession, you may have to take a lot of people or a lot of different ages or different levels or whatever, until you find like, this is my person, right? We all have to have our person, but you kind of get that, that picture of these are the people that light me up. These are the ones that I can't wait to um, get into the studio and get into a lesson with them because I have a plan for them. I know how they work. You know, if it's a certain age group, I know um, their developmental stage and what's going to work for them and what's not. And so kind of drilling down to just find kind of that one that fits with you. I, I think that's, that has also helped me go from how I started by myself to, uh, to kind of focusing on the ones that fit for me. And then when I hired the other teachers, I knew that they had strengths and gifts in certain areas that were not mine. So that, that was nice because then our studio could still be kind of a well-rounded studio, but I wasn't responsible for all the levels and all of the, because every level requires a whole different set of 
music and a whole different set of resources and a whole different set of games or activities or whatever. So, and that just added to the overwhelm in my brain. So the last few years, I've just been like all about drilling down to my specific kind of purpose, goal, niche, and then simplifying everything else that doesn't serve that, like just clearing it out. And whether it's like getting rid of, I mean, it has so much music that was just too advanced for my students. I knew they weren't going to play it. I probably wasn't going to play it. People would, um, really kind, well-meaning people would give me like stacks of things, you know, oh, my grandmother just passed away and we looked in the piano bench and there was all of this, you know, so... And I always take it because I think, well, someone will use it or uh, maybe there's that one piece or uh, I could make a cute Christmas craft out of some old music, you know, an ornament or something like that for students. And then so I would collect and hold on to things and then I never did anything with it. So I just had to start asking my question myself, like the question, is this going to moving forward into the next year? Am I going to see this as part of what is going to move the needle forward? And usually it was no. And so just to clear out, and I think I just went all the way around the block from whatever your last question was. I'm sorry. It's like a lot of, oh gosh, my husband's always thinking about get to the, get to the punchline. No, what I was thinking about as you were talking is, you know, we talk about like an ideal student for us or or the niche that we're we're really focused in. It's not static. And I think that that's a huge misconception that a lot of people have is that like Mm -hmm. whatever identify as my ideal student, that's it. And I'm sticking to it. But it changes over time. Like if Mm -hmm. you had asked me five years ago what I thought my ideal student was, I would have said something like, you know, student that practices consistently and is happy to be there. And like that was kind of the gist of it. Yeah. Now, it, with a lot more experience and, again, working with hundreds of students and narrowing down what you want to do more, for me, it's students who have anxiety in, in anywhere, any area of their life. It doesn't matter if it's on a personal level, if it's presenting in school, or um, it's something that they're feeling in music and performance anxiety, because those are things that I struggled with. You know, when I was in high school, I was having a really hard time. I was very high-functioning anxiety. I was not sleeping, you know, like Mm -hmm. definitely pushing myself past the brink. And I have students that are in that same position. I had one that just graduated in the spring and, um, you know, incredibly proud of everything that she's Mm -hmm. accomplished, but she needed a lot of support in some of those areas. And it's not something that, you know, we, we see as a negative. It's just another another thing that we're using our musical tools for. And so helping students, again, to express how they're feeling or feel confident in their preparation and their performance and in their musicality and their expression can help to work through some of those things. And also we can apply it to other things like public speaking and academics and finding that self-confidence. So you find those little things that you enjoy and you just latch on to them. And it's also okay over time as you're narrowing that down to bless and release things that aren't serving you anymore and whether that's people in the studio or it's resources that you no longer want to use anymore right there's really no concrete right or wrong way there's just a way that works best for everyone right so finding what works best for you and leaning into that is what we all have to do as musicians as business owners and and figuring out that that process for ourselves 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. And the more we learn about things, the more we might pivot into another area. Like you said, I like that you didn't, it doesn't have to be, this is set in stone for the rest of eternity. You know, you can just, because we're, if we're our, the CEO of our own businesses, I mean, we should be able to have choice in that matter. But yeah, there was something I was going to ask you. Um, Well, do you feel like, yeah, and you kind of said it, that you teach the people that, or you're, you're kind of um, drawn to the people that were the person you were however many years ago. We teach what we needed to learn at, at some point. And that, and I think some of those tools that I, you know, that we all grow into over time and as we deal with our own personal obstacles and hurdles and the things that we need the most help with, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's kind of a piece of this. I feel like I didn't really learn to practice or start to actually learn how to practice efficiently and effectively mm-hmm. until the last semester of my graduate program. Mm-hmm. And I kick myself for not having the language and the the knowledge of how to ask the questions that I had and instead it was just frustration and there was a lot of emotion there and a lot of stress there and you know going into a lesson and knowing that I just played something in the practice room and then going into the lesson and it didn't come out the right way that was a a efficiency and preparation issue I thought it was a nerves issue or I thought it was something wrong with me and so working through those things and having support in other ways from other instructors that helps but now those are things looking back that I absolutely want to impart on my students as quickly as possible. Like we are going to learn how to practice. We are going to learn how to manage that stress. We're going to learn how to practice efficiently. So it's a short period and you don't feel like you have to be spending hours a day doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are, those are things that you build up over time. So right. yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways your ideal student definitely reflects your know, past experience. I also think it can in some teachers, as you know, we both, you know, you, you are coaching now too. I know as you talk to more teachers, you find that a lot of teachers will also try to gravitate kind of by default to the students they weren't. So mm-hmm. teachers that say, I had to work really, really hard to, to learn my instrument. I had to put a lot of effort in. I had to be very, very dil- dil- diligent. They're also the ones that sometimes will turn around and say, but I want the talented students. I want the ones that have innate talent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little bit of, you know, and rightfully so, and this is zero judgment, I think it can stem from insecurity. Mm. So either you had insecurity and you want to support students that have that same feeling, or mm. right now, as you look back, you feel like, gosh, wouldn't it have been nice if this was my journey and that's who we, we say we want to attract. Um, but as you narrow it down, things always kind of work themselves out. And that's why I want to put the disclaimer that it's not static over time. You might find that the answer is different and that's good. That's okay. Yeah. 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 That's, that's very true. I like that. (laughs) Now it's, we're kind of, you know, I know we we have, um, so many other things that we could talk about in everything that, that you do in your business and the way that you structure everything. But I want to transition a little bit into that business ownership. I know that you are doing some coaching for other musicians, other studio owners now. In your business experience, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, maybe when you took over the studio initially, what are one or two things that you really wish you would have known back then? Mm, wow. Okay. Um, the first thing that 
comes into my mind would be kind of, we talked about it a little bit before, um, automating things and treating the business like a business and not a hobby. Um, you know, there were so many years that it was, uh, sending invoices one by one single emails to everybody taking checks to the bank and, and all of that. And I know, um, I think some teachers still do that. I, I kind of thought that everyone has sort of transitioned to that by now, but the teachers that I talk to that have, that still do that think, well, I only teach blank number. And so it's not really that big of a deal because I only have however many students. Um, so my recommendation to anybody starting out is to start out with all of that stuff in place, even if you only do have a handful of students because you want to treat your business today like the business you hope for it to be in five years or whatever. So, and once you can kind of um, lay those foundations of whether it's automating payments or schedules or onboarding new families um, and getting them, like we've talked about, getting them kind of uh, to take ownership of their part in the lessons. Um, doing all of those things at the beginning will just kind of make, I feel like, um, open up more people to come to you because you, you've been diligent in what you've been given, even though it was something small. And uh, it shows, I think that you can be faithful to handle something bigger. Um, mm -hmm. so that would be one of the suggestions. And I know that's not super exciting, but when you save the time, when you realize the time that's saved after you get things automated and, um, like tomorrow is the first, all of our, um, students have their payment information into our system, our management system. Uh, I don't have to do anything. It's all been set up. So tomorrow on the first, all of our money comes in and, and I'll be doing something else during that time. So, I mean, that's <laughs> so much freedom. Um, so I would say, yeah, setting up good systems at the beginning and then um, probably Mm. Well, see, it's hard because at the beginning, you kind of need to take everybody. Well, you don't have to take everybody, but you want to sort of explore the students that all of them so that you can see what fits for you at, at this time. So, uh, but as you are doing that, think like, does this, what about this student brings me joy? Or what about this student drains me? And if you can start asking those questions or like, why do I always look at my calendar and think, oh no, it's Wednesday, it's that day. And this is, is it because on Wednesdays you have back-to-back -back lessons for six hours and you, you never have a chance to use the restroom or whatever? Or is it because on Wednesdays, you know, all your beginners are coming and that's not your superpower or 
you know, so kind of to be aware of what, what is exciting you or firing you up and what isn't. Yeah. And it's something, you know, that little audit, I think helps in so many different ways. It's not even just like narrowing the focus of the studio or organizing things, but like figuring out what makes you happy. And I think candidly, one of the things that, you know, as, as a tiny little side note too, if teaching full-time isn't what does it for you, that's also okay. And I think that that's mm -hmm. a permission that we have to give ourselves is just because students are interested, we don't have to take them all. We can absolutely right. know that every other business has this set up and this ability. You're totally fine to, to filter things out a little bit. And it's also okay to say, you know, I have fewer openings in my schedule, but because I have fewer openings and I have so much interest, I also have a slightly higher rate for mm -hmm. the, the high demand and low supply that is my mm -hmm. studio space. It's right. okay to you know, change things to, to fit your needs and to fit how you feel about your business so that it's always aligned. And I think that's a really important thing that we have to mm -hmm. be true to ourselves on is what mm -hmm. is aligned and what feels good. Yeah. That is something I would have done. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, early on, I wish I would have, um, charged more probably. Um, I, I had limiting beliefs around money. Um, I had, a scarcity kind of mindset around it and also a fear about telling parents that the rate was going to be raised, you know, $3 a month or something. And it was, I, I think that, and you can't go in being all cocky about it and everything. There's, there's a, a humility and a strength in humility. I think that is, uh, that is wise, but, um, just being able to to realize the value that you provide and charge accordingly and not to um negate it or uh put your price out there and then say oh but you know if you if you want we can only have lessons every other week or you know just to to own it to um uh, feel confident in it and if it's not a good fit for them then that's not a good fit and there's nothing emotional about it. We put so much emotion into money and it's just a, it's just a passage of, you know, one thing for another. So, um, yeah, I think now we, we raise our rates every August it's in our policies. And so parents just know that, that, and that that's coming in. It's so much easier to do a little bit at a time rather than realize 10 years in, oh my gosh, I really should have been doing this all along. Now I have to make this big jump, but that, that can be harder and, and more awkward. So yes. yeah, Absolutely. I think that would be Absolutely. something I wish I would have done. And then kind of from a mindset perspective, maybe this would just be the final thought is, um, to be patient with yourself if you are a beginner at running a studio or at teaching. I mean, maybe you're not a beginner at your instrument and you've graduated with a degree or you've been playing since you were five years old or whatever. But, and I think a lot of musicians have really high standards for themselves. And so they expect when I start something new, like teaching, that it should be like this right now. Um, and so just to 
have grace on yourself to be a beginner and if and just to take action on on things try something out try a if you wanted to try a summer camp try it out if you've never done something before um tell yourself i'm i'm a beginner at this and i don't have to judge my journey as a beginner to someone else's journey who's in the middle of their path or at the end or has been doing it for a long time and and not to apologize for it just yeah be it is what it is where you are is where you are yeah <laughs> trying well, to change that too fast i think absolutely right. more problems and the the I, the self-communication and the thoughts that we say to ourselves like this was terrible i can't believe this happened i'm no good at this i mean those things go in here and in into our our hearts and our how we see ourselves and uh i would definitely wish i had those tools earlier on and mm. recommend and hope and pray for new teachers that they would give themselves the grace even as they're working hard give themselves the grace to rest and to be okay with being a new person at something absolutely i i really appreciate appreciate all the advice that you've given today and how you've shared your story this is you know we, we talk uh, talked earlier how again, a lot of musicians are coming from the more academic background, but hearing this kind of twisting, turning path that you've found and also how you're applying all that experience to your current situation has been really inspiring. And I think this is going to be helpful for other people too. Like it's okay to take other things outside of music and learn and apply all of that. Like it absolutely can all fit together. So yes. being open-minded is, is so helpful. Yeah. Amy, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I, I just love watching you grow and seeing your business change and evolve. And I can't wait to see everything that's that's coming ahead for you in your life and outside the box. And when I saw the podcast um, that you had started, I thought, of course, that's just a natural next step for you so it's it's really exciting to see what you and your husband are doing over there and 